We're going to start this morning with a video. I'd like you to be merciful. We worked really hard on this video, but this is not necessarily uh, my specialty. So here's a video. Watch it. I think we'll explain why we're showing this video. Starting out this morning with a video. This is, it might be a little bit hard to see, but this is uh, me playing uh, Zelda, the new Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. And I'm here to try to demonstrate or illustrate something from this game that I think helps us understand something about the passage we're going to be studying today. I'm in an area of the game called the depths, which is clearly a lot of darkness. And what I want to show you is, is just how much sort of light features into this game. And so we have these little things over here, uh, Poe they're called, and uh, they provide a little bit of light here. Um, but the game has put a lot of stuff in there to help sort of with the idea of light. So, for example, I have a device here. I can get out a lamp that I picked up, a Zonai device. I take out the device, and then uh, if I turn it on, oh, there's a lamp. So, got that. And then um, I also have a scepter that I fused a star fragment to. This also produces light. Ooh, that's pretty cool. Uh, so you get to see that. Um, there are things that you can find that they've hidden in the game uh, where you can make meals. So you take things like uh, you find glowing cave fish, so another light thing. You can combine them with uh, bright caps, which are found in the caves up above. Here's a bright cap and you mix them together and you can make a meal. And so a uh, bright fish and mushroom skewer. And in the game, if you eat that meal, then it gives you a uh, sort of 10 minutes of glowing. And so oh, look, now I'm uh, glowing. Uh, so you got, they've got that aspect of the game. Um, let's see, we got to get rid of that. So I'm not glowing anymore. You can also, uh, there's armor that you can wear. So I have a uh, miner's top that if I wear that, oh, I, that glows. I've enhanced that by adding uh, deep fireflies that found in the depths uh, that were down here. Uh, there is also probably the most, one of the most popular ways is these bright bloom seeds that you go to a dungeon and you pick. And then when you attach them to your uh, arrow, they shoot uh, out there and create light. You can also throw them. There's a giant version of that. And uh, when you throw that, voila, light. And the reason I'm showing that to you is light is probably the most important feature in this game. Like it's so many different ways in which you can achieve light. Uh, and it's a central aspect and focus of the game. Now, probably the thing that's the least uh, focus of the game or probably the least important is salt. There is salt in this game. And uh, let's see if I can find where that is. So here I have 97 pieces of rock salt. But in this game, that's about the only salt that's in the game. You get it by mining. Uh, it's pretty useless. You can't eat it. You can't really use it for a weapon. Uh, you can cook with it, and it does add a little bit of benefit in cooking. But for the most part, salt is probably the least important part of the game. So it's interesting to me this morning in our passage in Matthew, we're talking about salt and light. Light seems to be uh, strongly emphasized. It's all over this game. Salt seems to be completely neglected. And I th think that says something about even the way we view this passage. And so as we think about what Jesus has to say today about salt and light, 
I specifically want to emphasize what Jesus has to say about salt. So let's talk about that together. I don't think that would be in danger of breaking YouTube. So, um, and yes, a special thanks to Mark Kudlarczyk who uh, filmed that multiple times uh, as we try to get that right. But yeah, it's interesting to me that in this game, I got that for my birthday, it was a great birthday present, uh, that I've been playing for a while, that light is so much a central focus in the game. There's all sorts of stuff about light, but salt well, you can't really be bothered with. And even sort of like uh, looking stuff up online, other people agree, like, what in the world? Why is salt in this game? Like, it doesn't seem to do anything. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus talks about salt and light. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn to the book of Matthew, and we want to hear Jesus share these words. Matthew chapter 5 if you need a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you. Uh, they look like this. And if you turn to page 786, you will be in uh, Matthew chapter 5. We're in something called the Sermon on the Mount, which is really the most uh, important, most popular, most well-known teaching or sermon ever preached in human history. And Jesus begins the sermon by talking about what we call the Beatitudes, which is just Latin for the word blessed. And he goes through and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he's talking about the ways that you and I can experience the blessings of God in this life. That contrary to belief, uh, that when we go through persecution, we actually experience blessings from God. And so the sermon begins with Jesus talking about how you and I can experience blessings from God. Well, no surprise, he moves from that section, which we finished last week, into this next section where he is focused now on how after we've experienced blessings, how can we be a blessing in the world around us? And so just like God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can turn around and be a blessing to the whole world. So in this passage, Jesus starts with how we experience blessing and now is going to move into this section to talk about how we can be a blessing to others. And he uses two pieces of imagery here, salt and light. Let's listen to what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, at first glance, when you sort of hear this passage, you hear salt and light, and sometimes if you're around Christian circles, you can kind of just hear that phrase repeated over and over again, salt and light, salt and light, salt and light. And you might get the sense that there's sort of just kind of one big idea that Jesus is getting across, and you would not be wrong. The big idea is essentially, look, you and I who know Jesus have been blessed. 
Now go into the world and be a blessing. Help others come to know this same God who's been so good to you. Let them know him through your life. And so go live your life in this world, blessed by God, so that you can be a conduit of God's blessing, so that people might see you in me and be drawn to God. That's kind of the big idea. And so in one sense, Jesus is kind of making the same point using salt and light. And that is, you've been blessed. Go live in the world and be a blessing. But if you think about it, if his only point was just that, why use salt and light? I mean, why not just simply say, you're the light of the world. The world lives in darkness. Go out and live as light in the world. And when people see your light, they'll want to know your father who provides all light. And that could have just been his point. Why this stuff about salt? Well, I think it's because Jesus is actually saying two different things that are complementary, that work together to help us understand the bigger idea of blessed to be a blessing. Now, because light is more familiar, even in the game Zelda, which there's nothing necessarily Christian about that game at all, but even in that game, tons and tons of stuff about light, nothing about salt. It's just not very important. So too, even in Christian circles, we talk a lot about light. You are the light of the world. Be light. Be light in the darkness. We talk a lot about the imagery of light and don't say much about salt. So this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to think about why does Jesus start with salt before he gets to light? And we are going to talk some about light, but really in relation to salt. And our focus this morning is going to be, what is Jesus telling us about how we're supposed to live our lives in this world by calling us the salt of the earth? So we're going to begin with four ways in which the imagery that Jesus uses between salt and light are different. Okay? He uses two different images because he wants to say different things. Number one, salt and light are found in different places. Jesus says, you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. World and earth are two different words. Light comes from the sky. The Greek word for world here is the word cosmos. The idea is you don't find light in the earth. Light is found in the cosmos. It's found in the sky. It's found in stars and in the sun. And that light shines down onto us. But salt, salt's found in the ground. Salt's found in the earth. Salt is a part of this world, this planet on which we live. And so salt and light are found in different places. Second, Salt and light act differently. Light doesn't mix with darkness. If you have a dark room and you turn on the light, the darkness goes away and now you have light. We don't sort of mix light and darkness together. They don't, that doesn't work that way. But salt, you add salt to meat, for example, and the meat's still there. And the salt is actually enhancing the flavor of the meat Third, salt and light emphasize different senses. Light, verse 16, in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see 
your good deeds. Light emphasizes the sense of sight. What sense does salt emphasize? Taste. Also, touch. There's a tangibility to salt. You can feel salt and smell. I get sodium chloride is odorless. I understand that from a chemical point of view. But when salt combines with other things, it brings out an aroma and a smell. That's why, for example, if you smell the spray from an ocean wave, there's a smell there. Salt emphasizes taste and touch and smell different senses than what light emphasizes. Fourth, salt and light play different roles. Light is always prominent. If we turned off the lights today, you would know it immediately. Light is the very first thing that God creates. When there is a light on in the room, everybody sees it. It is the show. It is prominent. It is on display. Wherever there is light, that's where we focus. Salt is never the main ingredient. Salt's always added to something. We usually only notice salt when there's not enough salt there. Now, yes, it's true you can oversalt something, but for the most part, we're tasting food and we want to add salt to it, but salt is not the main ingredient. Nobody goes to a restaurant and says, I'll have an order of salt, please. Light is prominent, but salt is never the main ingredient. So when Jesus says you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world, he's using two different images to make a complimentary point about how you and I can be a blessing. And because we think so much about light, because it's so prominent, because we see it, because we engage with it, this morning I wanted to think about, okay, well, what about salt? Why is Jesus telling us salt? And what is he saying to us when he tells us we're the salt of the earth? So again now, four more things. The role that salt plays in life. The first is the most obvious. What does salt do? It adds flavor. Now this is not just a modern thing. In the book of Job, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 6, it says, is tasteless food eaten without salt? And what is the answer to that? No. Thank God for salt. Adding salt to food is in the Bible. Which is good because most people accuse me of being a saltaholic. I love salt. I got a salt shaker in my office downstairs. I have two of them actually. Because you never know when you're going to need to add salt to food. I mean really, what are french fries without salt, right? Like why bother? Any different kind of meat, chicken, lamb, beef, you got to add salt. How many of you had soup with not enough salt in it? Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. Ew. Guacamole? Got to have salt. Tomatoes? Salt. When Jesus says that you and I are the salt of the earth, what he means is we add flavor to life. That if this world, if you think about the people in this world as french fries or soup or guacamole or tomatoes, our job is that we add salt, we add flavor, we add taste to those around us. What does that mean? Well, listen to this passage in Colossians chapter 4. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with what? Salt. 
salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. When we engage in conversations at work, at school, on the internet, in our neighborhood, in this country, in this world, when we engage in conversations, to be the salt of the earth is for us to add flavor to the conversation. Now, what does that mean? You can read this passage, and some of us like to focus on the so that you may know how to answer everyone. We study all the answers, and we're going to have all the answers. We're going to make sure if anybody asks any questions that we've got an answer. That's not really what this is saying. Let your conversation be what? Full of grace. We are adding grace to every conversation. Our job is to salt the conversations with grace, with hope, with peace, with joy, with words of affirmation. There are lots of angry conversations going on in this world around us. There's lots of bitter conversations. There's lots of accusatory conversations. Our job is to add the grace to the conversation. That when everybody goes around the circle and some people are swearing or sharing lewd jokes or other people are complaining or saying negative things, when it gets to the Christian, what's the Christian supposed to do? Say something positive. Say something gracious. Say something compassionate. Say something forgiving. Say something hopeful. Add peace. Add Jesus. This is our role. We make things taste better. Nobody wants to read through an internet stream of a whole bunch of people just being angry about everything. And when somebody stands up and says, you know what? Life's a blessing. You know what? We can forgive people. You know what? Isn't God good? Isn't the sun shining? When someone adds joy, love, something true, something pure, something admirable, something praiseworthy, something excellent, it makes the conversation taste so much better. So the first role of salt is to add flavor. The second role of salt is that salt is a binding agent. For example, when you're making sausage, the reason you add salt is that the salt reacts with the proteins in the sausage and it forms sort of a gel, and that gel is what causes sausage to hold together. Salt is the reason why hot dogs exist. Salt holds the different meats in a hot dog together. Now I get that hot dogs didn't exist at the time of Jesus. But one of the amazing things about God is he loves to reveal stuff thousands of years before scientists figure it out. And so while chemists have figured out the fact that this is what salt does, that it's a, bonding, a binding agent, we actually have passages in the Bible where God has revealed this is how salt works before any scientist figured this out. For example, Mark 9. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? And then have you ever heard this phrase? Have salt among yourselves. Be at peace with each other. Salt is being used here to symbolize a connection between people. Have salt among yourselves. Be connected in peace with one another. Or Ezra 4, 14. Now, since we are under obligation to the palace, and then the stuff in brackets, I've actually written what it literally says in Hebrew. We have eaten the salt of the palace. That's an idiom, so the NIV translates that we are under obligation to the palace. But literally, the idiom is we have eaten the salt of the palace. Because we've done that, the people in Ezra are saying this, we are connected to the king. 
We have a connection. We've been bound together with the king. Or this passage in 2 Chronicles 13. Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by what? A covenant of salt. That thousands of years before scientists figured out about how salt works as a binding agent, God was revealing the reason why we call it a covenant of salt. The reason why we talk about uh, being at peace and having salt is because salt was always a symbol of how people are connected together. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, what he's saying is that you and I bind or connect him to non-Christians and to this world. For example, in 1 Corinthians 7, it says that if you're a believer and you're married to a non-believer, you should not divorce that person if they're willing to live with you because by staying married to them, you actually are forming a connection between God and your non-Christian spouse and your non-Christian children because you're the binding agent that connects God to that family. When God sees just one Christian in a family, he says, look, I have to be for that family because that Christian is present. That's salt as a binding agent. My job and your job in this world, you are the salt of the earth. When we go to our non-Christian schools or our non-Christian workplaces or we exist in a non-Christian country or a non-Christian world or we're part of an extended family where people are not Christians, our presence there binds God to these people. It's a blessing. Abraham is talking about this when he says about Sodom and Gomorrah. You wouldn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there were 50 righteous people there, would you? To which the answer is no, because those 50 righteous people are a binding agent. Their presence there connects God to the city. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he says, look, I put you in this earth to connect with non-Christians so that I might have some relationship with them. So the second purpose of salt is the binding agent. Third purpose of salt is that it purifies. A couple of weeks ago, we showed a video of me reading the Sermon on the Mount from the spot where we believe Jesus preached this. So we know where that spot is. And so uh, when you go to Israel, you can just go right there and you can sit there on the mountain where Jesus preached this sermon and first uttered these words. And if you do, one of the things you see when you look out over the Sea of Galilee is you see over there to your right the city of Magdala. And Magdala is where we get the name Mary Magdalene from. Magdala was a sort of like a port village on the city. And when people caught fish in the Sea of Galilee, they took it to Magdala. And Magdala was where they salted the fish. And they salted the fish because what the salt would do was remove the impurities and cause the fish to last longer. So before we had refrigeration, this was the way in which stuff was kept over time is that it was salted. We still have this today. When you pickle something, you're using salt to purify it and to preserve it so that it will last. If you use saline solution for your contacts, same thing if you have a salt water swimming pool. That's this idea. Salt purifies. And so as a result preserves this is true not just in life but also in the scriptures in exodus chapter 30 god is talking about the incense that's to be offered he says make a fragrant blend of incense 
the work of a perfumer, it is to be salted and pure and sacred. To salt something makes it pure. Or this story in 2 Kings chapter 2. The people of the city, this is the city of Jericho, said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put what in it? Salt. He wants a bowl of salt. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into the water, saying, This is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. Elisha is using salt as a symbol to show that salt purifies. Salt removes the stuff that is bad. So when Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, he means that one of our roles as Christians in this world is to bring purity into an impure world. So for example, if people in this country or people in this world are like, hey, look, we don't have any place for refugees here. We got no space for them. They're just going to take our money or cause us problems. The church gets to stand up and say, oh, no, 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 we'll take them. Bring them to us. We take anybody from anywhere, anytime that we could help and bless. When this world says, look, we don't care about unborn babies, the church stands up and says, we'll adopt a baby. We're, we're here. We'll do whatever we can. When the world pays no attention to people with special needs, the church says, bring them to us. We want to love and serve anybody who's got special needs. That's Christians being a purifying agent in an impure world. When this world has no time for anybody else, cares nothing about unborn babies, doesn't bother with people with special needs, that's the kind of stuff that would normally bring the wrath of God. But Christians are present to say, hey, no, we, we know what God is like. He's a God of love. We're not putting our hope in passing legislation to stop all that stuff from happening. We're present in the world doing the things that are pure and right and good and loving. And as a result, our presence is adding purity to a world that's filled with corruption and darkness and wickedness and evil. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. I've put you here because this place is going to rot otherwise. But you bring purity. You bring blessing. You bring life. The fourth role of salt in life is that it creates thirst. This is why movie theaters are more than happy to sell you a giant tub of salted popcorn. Because what's going to happen? You're going to buy the big drink. Because those little sips of tepid water at the water fountain that they hidden way in the back that you got to walk like 30, 30 yards to even find, that's not going to satisfy you. Salt creates thirst. This is why salt is used in the Bible in association with judgment. For example, Judges 9. All that day Abimelech pressed his attack against the city until he had captured it and killed its people. Then he destroyed the city and did what? Scattered salt. Why are you putting salt on a city? It's a sign of judgment. What judgment does is it creates a thirst for life. 
This is a symbolic act to say this city has been destroyed. What it needs is life. And so the salt symbolizes the thirst. This is why, what happens to Lot's wife when she turns and looks back at the city of Sodom? She becomes a pillar of salt. This was not God trying to figure out, well, what chemical should I turn her into? Like, what compound should I use? I'm going to use salt. Let's use that one. No, this is all for a purpose. What he's trying to show is she is thirsting for death. And salt, she should be thirsting for life. Salt is the symbol of what makes us thirsty. And so it gets used in judgment. So when Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, it's our job to make people thirsty for life. If you were here last week or you watched last week's service, you might remember Andre coming up here and sharing his testimony about how he came to faith. And he lived in the Middle East and he talked about the fact that when he was at college, even though he thought he was a Christian, he came from some nominal Christian background. What he saw at college was a group of real Christians who were gathered together singing praises and full of joy in the midst of the infatata, which was just all of this war and difficulty going on. And he thought, how in the world can those people have joy? I want what they have. What were they doing? They were creating thirst, thirst for life. They were making him thirsty for the, the, that what only Jesus could provide. Paul says this about Gentiles. He says some of the, part of the reason why God blesses us is because it makes Jewish people envious. It creates a thirst. It's your Messiah. He's the son of David. He's related to Abraham. When people who are not related to Abraham are blessed by God, it's supposed to create thirst for people who are Abraham's biological descendants to be able to say, well, if God will do that for them through Jesus, what would he do for me? Salt creates thirst. And so when God says to you and I, you're the salt of the earth, what he's saying is we go and live our lives in such a way that as we're just simply present, mixing with all that's going on, and God blesses us, other people look around and go, well, I'm thirsty for that. Remember John 4, where the Samaritan woman Jesus is meeting with her, and she's thirsty. She's thirsty because she's living her life, and Jesus is like, well, you were living with a guy who's not your husband, and you've had a whole bunch of other guys who that didn't go well. She's thirsty, and his presence with her is creating this thirst so that he can give her living water. That's what we do. You are the salt of the earth. Now, when you think about, as we close, there are two dangers that go with being salt. The danger with light is obvious. Jesus says it here. If you've got light, but you put it under a bushel, nobody can see it. That's the danger is that we hide our light. But as we close, let's think about the dangers with being salt. One's explicit in the passage. The other is implicit. The explicit danger for salt is that salt can lose its saltiness. That means it can be contaminated. Now I understand that sodium chloride cannot lose sodium chloride and still be sodium chloride. So from a chemical point of view, we might think, eh, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Or maybe he's making a pretty profound point. 
which is that you and I as Christians, theologically speaking, can't lose our salvation. We can't lose our Christianity. We can't stop being Christians. Salt cannot cease to be salt, or it's not salt anymore. So you and I, because we have the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, theologically, we can never stop being Christians. But practically speaking, salt can get overwhelmed by the environment that it's in. It can get diluted. It can take on the contaminations of the environment. And so it's possible that instead of us creating thirst, instead of us adding flavor, instead of us being the one putting the grace into the conversation, we're the ones putting the anger into the conversation. We're the ones being judgmental. It's possible that salt gets so used to all the stuff around it that it soaks up all the juices and pretty soon it stops acting like salt. That's the danger for salt is that you listen to the conversations going on in the world around us and you think, oh, that's the way people are supposed to talk to one another. No, it's not. You look at people who are in leadership and you think, oh yeah, that's how you're supposed to act. Then you look at Jesus and go, well, they don't look anything like him. The danger for salt is we start soaking up all the rest of it. And instead of being there creating thirst and purifying, we stop paying attention to the, the needs of the unborn. We don't, we don't want to adopt anybody. We stop paying attention to refugees. We're like, hey, look, I can't give any money to do those kinds of things. Jesus says, you've lost your saltiness. You're acting just like everybody else. The second danger is implicit. And I've hinted at it this entire way through the sermon. And that is, we can focus so much on being light that we forget about being salt. Jesus is saying different things. See, the problem with being light, we are absolutely supposed to be. The problem with only thinking about being light is it can give you this idea that we're supposed to emphasize prominence, the light of the world, that what Jesus is really looking for is Christian CEOs and Christian sports stars and Christian actors and actresses and uh, rich Christian people and popular Christian people and Christian influencers. And if we could just have the leading lights be Christian... Well, then the whole world's going to see and be like, well, yeah, who doesn't want to own their own company? And who doesn't want to have extra cottages? And who doesn't want to be the most popular and the smartest? And who doesn't want to be the superstar? And we might think you are the light of the world. That can overemphasize prominence and popularity and power. Who doesn't love light? Everybody does. But we balance that out with, you're the salt of the earth. And that's less about being sort of a superstar and more about just showing up every day at work, at school, in your neighborhood, at your family gatherings, just day in and day out being a Christian in tough environments. In your non-Christian school, you're like, all right, here I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here and I'm gonna still trying to be salt. And the danger for salt is we so focus on light that we forget salt is saying something else. There's also the danger that when you think about light, we focus too much on separateness. I'm, we're the light of the world. They're the darkness. We're a city set on a hill. They live down in the valley. And our job is to be a bright light all the way over here on the East Belt Line in 996. And we're a bright light here. And if anybody living in darkness, hopefully they will see this city set on a hill and they'll see the light and they'll come join us. That would be wonderful. 
And praise the Lord, it absolutely would be. But if that's the only image you hear here, if that's the only image you see, you miss the fact that Jesus is also saying, you're also the salt of the earth. Salt doesn't do any good if it hangs out by itself. Salt's got to go live with non-Christians. Salt's got to be part of these schools, got to be part of these workplaces, got to be part of these neighborhoods. What good is salt sitting in a pile on a hill by itself? And Jesus says, salt can only do what it can do in its connection with non-Christians. You can't be a binding agent if you're not connected to anybody. You can't create thirst if nobody knows you. You can't add flavor to things if you're not involved in conversations. And so the other implicit danger of being the salt of the earth is nobody pays attention to salt. And so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We stop thinking, I'm supposed to be the salt of the earth. And so this morning, Jesus wants to remind us. You are the salt of the earth. Life can't survive without salt. Can't survive without light, light either. But life can't survive without salt. And the reason why Jesus leads with salt is because this is the easy one to forget. And so this morning, as you're thinking about how to put these words into practice and not just hear them, but do them, I want to encourage you to think through. You are indeed the light of the world. I want you to shine brightly. I want people to see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. But you're also the salt of the earth. I want people to be able to taste and to touch and to smell Jesus with you. I want when you and I engage in conversations that we're always adding grace, we're always sprinkling good stuff in there. I want you and I to be the ones who are like, hey, look, I can't separate. I got to go be friends with non-Christians. I got to go hang out and engage. I got to bring prayer. We got to do the right thing. We can't just be off on our own doing our own thing. We got to do the right thing for people around us to bless them and love them. Our job is to create thirst for people to be able to hunger and thirst for Jesus. And so this morning, I want to bless you by saying, you've been blessed by God. Go be a blessing in this world. You are the light of the world. And you are the salt of the earth. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, help us to be salt and light. We can't do this in our own strength. We cannot do it in our own power but by your grace and through your mercy. Lord, you have blessed us. Take us into your world to be a blessing. I pray this in your name. Amen.